Well, good morning, Bridgeway. Good to see everyone. Uh, did we not have an awesome weekend last weekend? Man, that was great, yeah? That was awesome. Um, I, I just want to bring a couple things uh, to mind here for you. First one is, uh, especially if you're visiting, but if you're not, this still applies to you. Do not get used to the shortened service last week. You understand? We're right back into the hour and a half service, all right? So here's the funny thing. Some of you are like, dang, he's going long. No, 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 no. I will go long, yes. But no, 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 not yet. I, I, I will keep teaching. So we are still going to go the, the hour and a half. If you're brand new, you're like, man, I love that short hour service. Well, that's done. Anyway, uh, the other thing is that you'll notice that I say hi a lot, which I got to say hi to everybody watching online. Um, and you kind of go, man, what, why does he keep doing that? He keeps waving into the darkness back there. Uh, did you realize that last weekend there were 850 households online watching? That is thousands of people. That's a lot of people. All right. So while we were maxed out here, there was thousands more that were, that's why I'm always engaging and talking to everybody up there. And it's always like when you're not feeling good or you're sick at home, I'm waving to you, right? So just know that you're always part of the body, uh, even if you're not able to be here for one reason or another. So we still love you. You're still being blessed. You're still being ministered to. So uh, anyway, I'm excited about today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take out your handout sheet? We're going to have our scriptures on the screens at the beginning for our combo account, and yet we're going to be in the physical Bibles at the end. So have one nearby. I'll have you turn to Luke there when we get to that point. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Uh, we are in part 61, continuing on in our series of the Being Jesus series. I entitled this morning's message, Gods of War. Uh, we're going to talk about money today. And uh, I want to not insult your intelligence. There's a lot of things that we already know. And so I just want to briefly get those into our mind as we engage with the text. Uh, are we all clear that money's a big deal in America? Do I have to go over that? And, and no, 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 it's kind of important, yeah? Um, are we also clear, and I don't want you to do this, but you can imagine if you Googled the phrase, what will people do for money? Uh, I don't want you to do that. That's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, just understand that that is a scary response, all right? What will people do for money? How much do they value it? What are they willing to give and trade for it? Uh, pretty much anything and everything. So money is, is super scary, and so Jesus talks about it a lot because money does what God does. And the, what I mean by that is, is that in this world, money can pretty much get you most all the things you want. We just have to be honest about that. I mean, I understand the theologians, the Beatles said that money can't buy you love. However, however, with how we've allowed love to degrade, I actually think it probably can because it can buy you affirmation. It can buy you attention. It can buy you all these types of things, but it really can't buy you anything that has to do with God, right? And that is a huge issue. Uh, another thing that I want to just bring up, and I don't want to get political on you because um, that's not really my gig. And so if you have politic thought about this, just keep that to yourself because you're going to go, oh, I know what he meant. No, you don't. Okay, here we go. Uh, the way that money is supposed to go is that behind money, there's supposed to be something of value, right? Are we all clear on that? I mean, otherwise, it's kind of stupid for me to give you a 
piece of paper with numbers on it and you go, wow, that's awesome. Okay, no, it's just a piece of paper. But you say it's what's behind it that gives it its buying power. Can you all agree with that? All right. So if we do not have anything behind it, that's what it creates in inflation things and allows money to become less valuable. And the, the first time I engaged with this in my hand was I was over in Turkey. I don't know how many of you have ever been to the country of Turkey. I was over in Turkey doing the footsteps of Paul travel thing, and I had to use the restroom. Over there, the restrooms are pay, right? So when you're out on the roads, it's like, it's like a pay toilet kind of thing. And to go to the bathroom was one million Turkish dollars. And I was like, what are we talking about? How far has your economy and your money kind of shifted where it's a million dollars to go to the bathroom? And you're like, what? And it's, I mean, it's, it's like maybe 62 cents is $1 million. So the idea is that somewhere the money kind of doesn't have a lot of stuff behind it, so it doesn't stand for a lot. But here's what's intriguing. We have somehow, because we live in a wealthy country, we somehow think that everybody can be wealthy because it doesn't matter. There's just unlimited resource. There's actually not. So let's say that we as a group only had $1,000 to work with. Well, what would that mean? Let's say I had 200 of those dollars. How's that going to get then dispersed amongst the rest of us? It's a limited resource. So if I have a whole bunch, you don't have a whole bunch. That's kind of how it works. And so just understanding that when God gives us a whole bunch, the point is, is then we look out and watch out over those that don't have a whole bunch. That's kind of his whole point of why generosity is necessary and why we cannot just say, oh, well, I guess that's tough for them. You have to kind of go, no, no, no. Why did God give it to me and what am I supposed to do with it? Right? We've always talked about being distribution houses for the kingdom of God. That's kind of what we do. The last thing I'll share as we dive into this is that Need is a bonding agent. I've shared that with you before, and the analogy I used was a newborn in the arms of the mom. That bonding that occurs because a child is absolutely dependent on the parents actually lasts for the rest of their lives. There's a fusing that occurs between children and parents. However, if the child is born with car keys, if the child is born with its own apartment, if the child is born with its own bank account loaded, if the child is born with its own identity, how fused would that be? Well, unfortunately, a lot of us come into a new life with Jesus Christ and we start out and are born afresh, but we have all our own stuff. And there's not a deep bonding that goes on between us and him because we think we don't need him. Riches have an amazing way of twisting our priorities and allowing us to think certain things are important that God doesn't think are important. It allows us to believe that we can operate without him, that he is not necessary. And we always see him as the backup plan. Man, I sure hope I don't have to rely on God. Woo, I sure hope my money carries me through because if I got to rely on God, that means everything fell apart. Do you understand how messed up that logic is? That seems to be part of the problems with riches. Jesus is about to tell us some stories and he uses really extreme phrases about wealth. And I want to break that all apart so that we can understand what he means. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you explains the one thing for certain, the money cannot buy. Money 
can't save your soul. Money can't save your soul. Anything that you long for in this world, money may be able to buy. But if you long for anything outside of this world with God, it cannot buy that. And if I was to ask you, how much would you pay for peace of heart? What are you willing to give in exchange to know that you're connected to your God? What price would you put on that? Obviously, it's invaluable. Let's go ahead and begin with our first combo account. We'll throw that up on the screen. It begins with a story that I shared with you last week on our Easter message, where I was sharing a little bit about moments that people came in contact with Jesus. This one's known as the rich young ruler. And I want to dive in a little bit more and see if any of this applies to us in a deeper way. It begins like this. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, seriously, check this out. A ruler ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Wow. Was this a good guy or bad guy? Because it's not going to end well. I mean, if you know the story, it, it doesn't end well. So does that mean this guy's faking it, that he's manipulating Jesus? Or is this guy legit? I mean, how many people that are, that are faking it run up and bow down before the king? I mean, there's something about this guy. And later on, you're going to find out Jesus loves this guy. It's not that he doesn't love sinners. It's that he's looking at this guy going, man, this is such a good-hearted young guy. I think he's really a good man. I think that he means well. I think that he wants to do right. I think that he's moral and kind and probably nicer than everyone in this room right? So he runs up and he asks Jesus some complicated, mixed up and distorted questions. Jesus is going to bust him on the good teacher thing here in a moment. But what are the other things that he says? Good teacher, what good deed? That's a lot of good. Do you think he has any idea what good means? Uh, no, I think Jesus is going to get into that. Good teacher, what good deed must I do to be saved is what he's asking. Well, we all know that you're not, you don't do good things to earn your salvation. So we go, well, you messed up there, buddy. But he also uses a weird phrase. What good thing must I do to inherit? Doesn't that seem a little odd? You don't do something to inherit unless you just kill the person, right? You understand? If you kill the person, then you inherit the money. But really, you don't do something to inherit. Inherit is a gift. And then he says, what good thing must I do? And then links it to the phrase eternal life. Y'all know that eternal life is a common catchword for Christians. And so what does it mean? We always think it means living super long. That's actually not what the word means. The word actually means God type life. Life that befits God. So it's talking about quality, not just quantity. You understand what I mean? Therefore, we understand that eternal life, God kind of life, actually begins at the moment of conversion when Jesus wakes you up and you go from death to life. The minute that ignites and that engages, eternal life has already begun. And it just goes from glory to greater glory. It's not just living long. All right, it says, Jesus catches him on the first phrase. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. Why do you ask me about what is good? No one is good except God alone. Now, is Jesus just hassling him? 
I mean, is he just causing more problems or does he, is he trying to dig somewhere? Usually Jesus asks questions so that we would recognize something, right? Jesus doesn't need to know the information. He knows the information. So let's talk about the issue of good. Rabbis, even non-Jesus rabbis, did not want the word good used about them. That was kind of a normal thing because they wanted that reserved for God alone. So you weren't supposed to go up and call them good. You could call them rabbi. You could call them teacher. You could call them master. You could call them a bunch of things. Don't call them good because they go, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not God. And let's keep a little respect for him. All right. So maybe Jesus was doing that, but I think there was something deeper. He said, there's no one good, but God alone. So he could be saying a variety of things. He could be saying, hey, kid, until you realize I'm God, please don't use that phrase. Now, if you're ready to call me God and acknowledge me as God, we can do that. You're not at that place. So let's go ahead and throw the word good aside for a moment because you're only engaging me as a good guy. So he could be saying, hey, slow down. Before you start dropping all this stuff on me, I want you to think through what you're about to ask me. He could have been saying, don't play the flattery game. I don't need that. Just ask me what you need to ask me. I mean, he could have said a lot of things, but I think he was trying to dig down to say, my friend, your view of good is so distorted. I don't even think you know what you're talking about. Ah, why? Can people really do good works apart from God? Actually, no, they can't. They can do stuff that other people look at and go, man, that's good. Yeah, but we're not good judges of what's good and what's not good. Because underneath anything that is good, it means it's God-like. Uh-oh, can you do a God-like thing without God? Not really. Because motivation matters. And if the motivation is detached from God, it is not good in its deepest sense. All right? So let's keep moving on. He said, Jesus said, all right, you ask a weird question, I'll give you a weird answer. Let's play this game of what good stuff do we need to do. If you would enter life, if you want to go to heaven, keep the commandments. That's an interesting response. Is that true? He said, you know the commandments, right, kid? And the kid said, uh, which ones? Now, that's a weird question. Which ones? Hey, God, which, which one of your commands should I follow? What? What are you talking about? I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't important. They're all important. So no, you don't get to pick and choose. It's not like you go, man, out of those 10 commandments, I'm like solid on three. <laughs> you know, those other seven, they're just really just not great. Okay, you don't get to pick like that. So this guy's like, well, which ones? And, and what he was trying to decipher was in the Old Testament, there's actually 613 commands. Now, he's going, are we doing 10 commandments? Are we doing 613 commandments? Are we doing the law that the Pharisees are all into? Because that's thousands of commandments. Which, what are we talking about here? And so Jesus said, no, no, no. Let's go back to the 10 for a second. Jesus said, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's weird about that is he cites only the second half of the 10 commandments. All the commandments that have to do with interactions with human relationships now why would he do that the first half talks about god relationships he's in a sense it looks like he's highlighting out relationship problems 
going, buddy, I don't think your problem is that you don't, are not really into God. Now, you're not, but you don't know that. Your real problem is how you're treating people. So let's go ahead and highlight those. How are you doing on those, kid? Now, notice he actually flips the order. Now, that's supposed to be all the Jews would go, wait, 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 hold on, you didn't do that in the right order. He actually, in one gospel account, ends with honor your father and mother. Well, that's not where it belongs. That's not the 10th commandment. And in the other gospel account, he ends with love your neighbor as yourself. Is that where the problem lies? Did he have a problem with his neighbor and did he have a problem with his parents? Well, that's fascinating. Jesus is maneuvering things around to pinpoint and narrow him into something that he's going to teach him. It says, and the young man said to him, teacher, all these that you just mentioned, man, I nailed them since my bar mitzvah, right? Since my youth, since I was 12 years old, man, I started being accountable as a man. I, man, I haven't killed people in like ever, right? When Jesus heard this and looking at him, loved him. So this guy's awesome. And you know what? I got to work with this guy and it's got to be legitimate. So I'm going to be strong with him, but I'm going to be compassionate and kind. Jesus loving him said to him, one thing you still lack. If you would be perfect, if you would be whole, if you would be everything I designed you to be, if you would be the man that you were built to be, if you want to be with me. He said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you possess, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then I need you to come and follow me. Now understand he gave him two commands. Get rid of all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then come join my team. Now to be invited onto the team of Jesus is pretty cool. You got to, I mean, for us looking backwards, we're like, dang, that's a golden ticket right there. That'd be awesome. Now, you have to understand, Jesus is about to die, and all his guys are going to be scattered, and they're all going to get hunted down and killed. So I don't know if it's as awesome as we think it is in that way, but he said, I want you to get rid of all your stuff, and I want you to follow me. And he said to him, there's one thing you lack. Right off the bat, I was jealous. I was like, man, he only had one thing to work on. <laughs> Shoot. I'm like, you know, the Lord's like, all right, out of 10, you're missing 11. You know what I'm like? Oh, uh, you know, I, that'd be cool if Jesus only had one thing I lacked. Now, the problem was it was a biggie. Yeah. The one thing he lacked was Jesus. <laughs> the one thing he lacked was surrender. The one thing he lacked actually blocked him from all God type life. So it was a big deal. But notice there was one thing on which it was all hinging on that if that would only flip, he would come alive in God. What was that one thing? It was surrender. Hmm. Now notice it says, but when the young man heard these things, he became very sad and disheartened for he was extremely rich. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Oh, that's not good. He just missed salvation. Walks away unchanged. Why? Because of his stuff. That's why Jesus has a problem with stuff. That's why Jesus has a problem with wealth. It makes everything harder with God. Does it make it impossible? Well, we'll get into that. But I, what I find interesting about this was... The, most scholars believe he's a Pharisee. 
why? Because as a young man, he's really hardcore into the law. That's the Pharisee talking, right? So just like Paul the Apostle used to be a Pharisee and he did everything right, this is that same type of guy. He's like, man, I'm all about the law. I've done everything right. And I can say that confidently. You can't say that unless that's your whole goal of life. But if he's a Pharisee, that's why he's the rich, young ruler. Do you realize that only one gospel says he's rich? Only one gospel says he's young. Only one gospel says he's a ruler. So you blended the gospels just by the phrase rich, young ruler, right? If he's a ruler and he's a Pharisee, the reason why this is so odd is that Pharisees gave to the poor all the time. And if this guy's as wealthy as we think he is, he probably gave more than everybody else. So this is not new. The whole idea of giving to the poor, he's like, man, that's kind of what I'm about, right? Because they believed in the Jewish religious sense that you could kind of earn your way to heaven by giving your money away. But he never had to give like this. It's one thing to give out a surplus. It's another thing to give everything. That's a whole new level of surrender. So what is he asking of him? I want you to cut yourself off from all your own security. And I want you to chase after me and let me figure it out. Whoa, what? Uh, no, I can't do that. And he left without salvation. Well, now all the rest of the guys are just stunned. Like, uh, he would have been an awesome teammate. <laughs> uh, I think he was super wealthy. I could have used some of that, right? I mean, they were just like, man, Jesus, you're chasing away the good guys. Stop that. Got to lower the bar, brother, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, looked around and said to his disciples, he said, children, listen up, this is deep. How difficult it is and will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel, the largest animal on our little area here, to go through the eye of a needle, the smallest hole we deal with on a daily basis, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, that's called impossible, right? A lot of people are like, there was a gate. There's a low gate. Okay, there's no low gate. Just so you guys know, if you ever were taught that, somebody lied to you. Because actually there's no archaeological evidence of any gate anywhere. It was a cute little story that someone came up with in lying. All right. So it's just impossible. You can't shove a camel through a little tiny hole. That's kind of how it's supposed to go. Then some people are like, no, no, no. It's a cable for a ship. And you're like, what? You can't fit a cable of a ship through a hole. And I'm like, okay, who cares if it's a cable or a camel? You can't get it through the hole. All right, so it's impossible. And that was what Jesus was trying to say. It's impossible. Well, that freaked the disciples out. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly, exceedingly astonished. That means they were out of their minds, saying, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why was this so shocking to the disciples? Because they grew up being taught the health and wealth prosperity message. Why? Because the Jews believed that wealth was a sign of favor from God. If you were wealthy, God liked you more. That's it. That's why when Job went down, 
His friends all went in. We're like, dude, you screwed up somehow. Man, God must be super mad at you. They saw poverty as divine punishment. They saw sickness and death and all those things as God being mad at you. So the more wealthy, the more vibrant your life was, God must totally dig you. And they thought, wait, wait, wait. If all the people God likes aren't getting into heaven, how is anyone getting into heaven? And Jesus is like, guys, you got this way wrong. That's not at all what it has to do with. So if you've been at this church, you know every chance I get to blow up the health and wealth prosperity message, I will do that. Okay? Because it's garbage. Now, here's the deal. Does God bless his kids? Yes. Does God say, hey, I want you to be a good steward and we can work with this stuff? Yes. Does God want to love on us? Yes. Does God have gifts for his kids? Yes. All this is true. But please don't make God a 401k. Man, matching contributions and after a while you're vested. And I... Okay, stop. And if you give your money to God, it's not a one-to-one ratio. And he's like, well, you give me, give me a buck, I'll give you two bucks. It's not like that. Sometimes God goes, actually, I need you to get rid of everything and I'm going to transform your life. Well, that's not money. And so we got to be very careful with that kind of stuff, right? Well, sure enough, they bought into that and Jesus was about to flip it again and go, stop saying that riches are indicators of God's favor. If that was the case, then the disciples who were largely poor would have would be no connection to god and the the priests the scribes the pharisees they were loaded they should have been the ones close to god we know that's not true he said so let's blow that up for a moment peter began to say all right totally get that that guy left we didn't leave peter began to say as the loud mouth of the team see look jesus we've left all our homes we've left everything and followed you what do we get okay That's not a great question. (laughs) What did they leave? They did leave a lot. Remember, they dropped their businesses. They dropped a bunch of stuff. And and it made it very hard. Some of the guys that were following, one of the guys is a zealot. I don't know if you remember what they do, but they're all Zionists. They're all nationalists. And his whole crew would hate him for joining. Even though he joined the revolutionary Jesus, the minute they found out that he wasn't going to take over Rome... What a huge disappointment, right? And he would have been rejected. So they gave up a lot. And Peter was like, all right, so what do we get out of this thing? I'm not so sure that's the best motive. But Jesus still works with it. He said this. Jesus said to them, listen up, kids. This is deep. There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or lands for my name's sake or for the sake of the gospel, the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands but you'll get them with persecutions oh drag it sounded awesome there for a second until he drops that bomb with persecutions oh and in the age to come you will inherit eternal life now understand that this is very real for a lot of people in other countries when they become a christian they're cut off from everything They're cut off from their families. They're cut off from their business dealings. They're cut off from everything. Here in America, we kind of go, eh, maybe I'll get into that church thing. It's a huge deal when you're in an all-Muslim country, when you're in an all-something else, right? You understand what I'm saying? Let's say when you're in an uh, all-Orthodox Jewish environment, being a follower of Jesus does not fly. I got a buddy right now who um, is legally Jewish, and he can't move to Israel because he's a follower of Yeshua. 
he's uh, they know he's a christian dude you got blocked they'll write it on the paper you don't get to live here that's pretty intense. So, so did they lose stuff? Yeah, they got cut off from a lot of things. They, they, they were known as the bad guys. He said, but understand what you just joined. So think about it this way. And it's, it's a perfect picture in this particular church. Let's say you got saved and your family's like, I hate that Christian stuff. That's all bogus. It's stupid things where they think that God made dinosaurs and, and it's just dumb, right? So y'all can't focus on science. You're an idiot. I want nothing to do with you. And they kick you out of your family. Look what you gained. Okay, we're all around you. The way that church is supposed to work is we are your family. So you left five and you gained thousands. The other thing is that when you are supposed to be in hurt, we're supposed to come up and back you up. So even if your family wasn't able to back you up, the church is supposed to back you up, right? So that's what we're growing in. That's what we're learning in. That's what we're trying to become more of a family and more of community. So we're doing the things that family's supposed to do so that when you get rejected, you have somewhere to land. That's kind of the point. He said, by the way, guys, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Guys, it's not how you think it is. It's not like the biggest, toughest, baddest guy gets the best seat. And the unfortunate thing is they should have went, oh, that's awesome. But you'll notice that later on they end up arguing. So where do I get to sit? Do I get to sit next to you? Do I get to stop? Why is everything competition? Why can't you say, thanks, dad? Well, is her bunny chocolate bunny bigger than my chocolate bunny? And uh, right. I mean, that's what we play all the time. How come he's got the gift of this? And how come she's got the gift of this? And why did they get to pray? And then this happened. And why, and why does it happen? And we're always complaining about our presence. We're under the tree shaking it and going, why is there heavier than mine? Why that? Right? It's just not right. So then we shift into another story. Jesus had just been talking out in the court of the Gentiles at the temple, and he's arguing with all these leaders, and he's exhausted. He shifts then into the court of the women. So the way that the temple works is that it had an outer area where anyone could go, called the court of the Gentiles. Then it had a place where only Jews could go. That's the court of the women, both male and female. Then you had the court of Israel, where only males and priests could go. So Jesus would teach the, the crowds in the Gentile area, then he would teach his disciples and the Jews specifically in the court of the women. So that's where he was at. And inside there, there were 13 offering boxes across the wall. They all were labeled with different things to give as offerings to God and give as offerings for the temple. So this is where we pick up the story. And he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus looked up and saw many rich people putting their gifts in large sums into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. All right. One of those is called a lepta. It means the thin one. It is one 128th of a day's wage. So whatever you can calculate that to be awesome. I'm not a math guy. We're moving on. <laughs> and he called his disciples to him and he said, listen up guys, this is deep. This poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. Why? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now that was a mind bender. 
Because remember, they thought that if you were favored by God, you got a bunch of stuff. And if you got a bunch of stuff, you could give a bunch of stuff and God would be like, you are awesome. Look at all the things I can build with your stuff. Well, that's completely bogus. Jesus said, it's not the amount. Stop with that. They're all giving out of a surplus. And that's in general what I give out of. I give out of my surplus. I literally organize out my money so that there's some that's going to be for God. And it's extra because I organize my life to where it's non-sacrificial. You understand what I'm saying? It's that I, I, I carve out for all these years my offerings and tithes and gifts so that I can give it and not feel the hit. And, and he said, this woman has two little baby coins. It's all she has left. So she will not eat until she earns more. Have you ever been in a place where you can't eat until you earn more? That's a whole different ballgame. And the other thing that I thought was significant that I never noticed before is she had two of them. I would suggest every single one of us, even the most hardcore believer in us, would have given at least one and held one. That's still 50% of everything you own, right? That's pretty high. She gave both. That was absolute surrender. Here you go. Chink. I got nothing. And Jesus is like, whoa. Guys, did you see that? They're like, man, that's intense. Huh. As you're turning to Luke chapter 16 as we close out, that's page 875 and the Bible's under the seat in front of you. Luke 16, 13. It won't be on the screens. I want to teach you to make sure that you know your Bible backward and forward. Luke 16, 13, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the third gospel. While you're doing that, just listen to my voice. You know, I was reflecting a little bit on this whole thing and saying, Lord, do I really struggle with money? And we've talked about this before, but I was like, you know what? Not really. I don't think I struggle with money in in a whole lot of ways because I don't know. I kind of have this weird attitude that if I have money, awesome, I'll play with it. And sometimes I won't use it appropriately. But if I don't have any money, whatever, I don't really, for all the stuff that I do, I'm more of a talker and relational person. So I don't really need money to do that. So I don't really care about it. And I thought, ah, you know, this is actually one of the areas where I can finally chill out. No, no. What I found was insidiously, it's still in my heart. It's still a problem. And I found that I have a really hard time giving when it's not out of surplus. And so I'm going to challenge you with what I feel I was challenged with. I want all of us to have homework this week. I want you to give away something that matters to you. I want you to give away something that actually costs you. And I want you to give it away to God. Everyone's like, dang, I knew I should have skipped this week. (laughs) Why? Because all of us, we're super good at hearing the word of God, right? I mean, we literally are like, dude, that's a good word. Good word, man. Good word. All right. You going to do anything about it? Nope. But that's a good word, man. That's, that's, that's solid, bro. Okay. Uh, we're supposed to hear the word and then you go do something about it. I want you to give something that costs you that you're going to feel. And I want you to give it for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean that you give it to the church. It means that you give it on Jesus's behalf. So if you give something that's of value to a neighbor that doesn't have anything, I want you to put a little ticket that says Jesus is thinking of you. You know what I mean? I mean, you're doing it for the Lord. You're not just giving away money for no reason. Now we're doing a heart check here and I want us all to do that because we got to figure out if we really have a problem. The other thing I noticed, if those of you that have heard all these stories a million times, let me do a quick gut check for you. 
I was going through this and I was thinking, man, the other thing that I don't struggle with is legalism. I'm like, man, I'm like Mr. Grace guy. And it's kind of like legalism doesn't, I'm not into religion. I don't like all that stuff and the rituals and, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't struggle in that area. Ah, I struggle there too. And here's why. Because the guy asked Jesus, he says, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm like, ha ha, what a fool. You cannot earn eternal life. It's all about relationship. And then I found out I try to earn my relationship. I'm like, what? How can I twist God's word more to where I'm trying to be so close to God that he has to let me in heaven because I'm his buddy? You know what I mean? I mean, and then not only that, but I found out I don't try to earn heaven. I just try to earn to keep heaven. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's another problem. Because here's how I picture it. I'm drowning in the water. Oh, look at me, I'm drowning. And God reaches down and pulls me out of the water and puts me on land. And I'm like, got it, Lord. I'll make sure not to go in the water again. And then I'm securing my salvation for the rest of my life. Thank you for rescuing me. I got to do it now. Jesus is like, dude, not only did I pull you out of the water, I got to keep you from going in the water. Because every time I turn my back, you're like, I go swimming, right? And I immediately run back in. So understand, do you understand all these levels that are going on? We got to have our hearts soft and go, Lord, what is going on? How do I become like you? All right, next page. Luke 16, 13, all right? Luke 16, 13. Jesus just dropped some bombs as we kind of close out here. And we just kind of chew on them a little bit. And he tells a freaky story. So I like that begins like this. No servant can serve two masters. That word is actually slave. You can't be a slave to two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other. or He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why? Because they clash. That's why. And when they clash, you have to pick. So for example, the rich young ruler, it clashed. Jesus said, I want you to choose me. And he's like, I can't do that. Okay. Well now we know who wins. When I gave you that assignment, what happened in your heart? If it clashed, who won? Money won if you end up having a challenge there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you cannot be a slave because your masters will call you for the same time frame. Hey, I need you on Mondays. Well, I need you on Mondays. Well, which one are you going to pick? Well, whoever you pick, that's really your master. Ah. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, verse 14, heard all these things and they sneered at him and made fun of him and ridiculed him because he was a poor dude talking about money. And they were thinking, you're not even favored by God. He said to him, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. All this stuff that y'all are into, he said, are an embarrassment. God can't stand how you manipulate the law and try to make it work for you. This isn't about God for you. It's about you. It's about a power play. It's about you feeling good about yourself. It's about you justifying yourself. This is just not right. The law and the prophets, they actually were solid and leading the way until John the Baptist, it says, verse 16. Then we went into the gospel, the new covenant. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. What's his point? The law is still legit, y'all. The law still matters. It's still God's heart. Just because it led us to understand how sinful we were doesn't mean it's bad. It just means we can't live up to it. It's still God's heart. The, The demands are still perfection. 
That's why we need Jesus. He said, Pharisees, you guys think you're so good at this law thing. Well, let me use an example that's going to kind of embarrass you because y'all are liberal in the areas of divorce. So let's hit that one. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why do you bring it up? Because they were trying to circumvent and they all went the liberal way and they were thinking, hey, I can divorce anyone I want, anytime I want, even if I find someone hotter. And he's like, all you're doing is hurting people. What is wrong with you? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm such a good law guy. No, you're not. You're mean. Stop doing that. He said, I got a story for you guys. Y'all into wealth, right? Oh, if I can only have more wealth. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Now, he didn't get it, but that's what he wanted. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's yucky. <laughs> who are these people? There's two guys in the story. First one is a rich man. In order to make wool shining bright, it was a long and expensive process. Most people dressed in off-white. They dressed in dingy white. They dressed in beige. But if you were super wealthy, you'd have bright white. And that was just his underwear. So his undergarments were bright white. So he had super expensive underwear. And on top of that, he had purple. Now, purple is even more expensive than white because you had to get a certain dye and a certain dye was super expensive and it took a long time. So no one could really afford purple. So he had white expensive undergarments and purple super expensive outer garments. And then in a culture that didn't eat meat very much, he's gluttonous every day with tons of waste. And this is the rich guy. In other cultures, they would call him Deves because Deves is the Latin word for rich but he doesn't really have a name. The other dude actually has a name and his name is Lazarus, which is rather unusual. Lazarus, whose name means that God will help me, does not look very helped, right? I mean, he's probably crippled. That's why you have to lay him at somebody's gate. They lay him at the gate of a compound of some guy's huge house that pays no attention to him. He always has to honk as he backs his Bentley out of the gate. You know what I mean? Hey, dude with the sores, get out of the way, right? He's laid at the gate, has tons of sores, which means he's unclean. The religious people don't want him. The rich people don't want him. He's a hassle menace to society because he's laying there and he's so helpless that even then he can't even chase away the dogs. They're like, hmm, what you got there? <laughs> Gross, yeah? So this guy's completely messed up at the dude's gate and he does not even see him or care. Well, verse 22, the poor man died, probably didn't have a burial, but was carried by the angels to paradise, to Abraham's side. Now, to have an angelic escort, that's pretty awesome, right? Well, the rich man also died. He probably had a huge funeral, big old tomb, and he was buried, but he ended up in Hades. That's what we know as hell, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus was at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, meaning I'm a Jew, have mercy on me. Well, that's funny. You didn't have mercy on anybody else. And send Lazarus as your errand boy, because I still see him as lower than me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, 
Remember that you in your lifetime, you received your good things. That's all you wanted, right? You wanted stuff of this life? Well, you got it. You didn't want any part of here. Lazarus, in like manner, man, he had bad things happen. Let's call it as it is. His life was miserable. But now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and nobody can cross from there to us, that even if we wanted to help you, we couldn't get cross. Then the man said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. Send the errand boy to my father's house as raised from the dead, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. Interesting, he's now interested in other people, but it's too late. But Abraham said, no, 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 they got the Bible. They got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, 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 Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. If they see a super great miracle. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither are they going to be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. What's the point of this story? Is it that all rich people go to hell? Is that, is that the point of the story? No. How do we know for sure that that's not true? Because who is Lazarus hanging out with? Abraham. How wealthy was Abraham? Uber hell, you know, wealthy. I mean, he was so rich, he had to split up from his nephew because their wealth was crowding each other out. So rich guy looks over at rich guy hanging with poor guy and says, wait, 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 how come I'm not over there? It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has to do with what your wealth did to you has to do with that your wealth owned you had to do with you've never even seen anyone else your wealth insulated you and you don't see people you don't see god you don't see anyone it's just all about you isn't it well when that happens there is no salvation for you because you have to know you're in need and you've never felt need in your life god is not against the wealthy if that were the case then we wouldn't have david we wouldn't have Solomon. We wouldn't have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We wouldn't have Joseph of Arimathea. We wouldn't have Nicodemus that took care of Jesus' body. We wouldn't have had Zacchaeus get saved, who we just studied, who was once a bad guy and super rich, and now he's a good guy. Do you understand? The Bible's loaded with wealthy people that love God. The point is not the wealth. The point is your heart. What are you doing with it? And this guy was doing the sin of omission, not commission. Everyone thinks that I'm not doing bad things, but you're not doing good things either. Man, your heart's so vacant. We're not even loving on other people. This rich guy had some stuff he could have helped Lazarus out with, and he didn't even see him. Didn't even care. Because he didn't really love people. And if you don't love God and people, you don't know them at all. You know what I mean? And so, so as we kind of close this time out, just know this. I don't care what you have. I just care if what you have has you, right? I, I, if you're wealthy, that's awesome. Please praise God, thank Him for that, and use it wisely. I know people that who are poor and they have more of a God in money than wealthy people. And I know wealthy people that are completely obsessed with wealth. So it's, it's the obsession problem. It's not the money problem. 
Because God has us all at different stages and different phases and different seasons of life and different things. I want you to be peaceful and content, but I want you to love on other people. That's all. Just make sure that it's not self-obsessed. That's kind of the key, right? So as we close here in prayer, and as we know that we have this assignment before us, I just want to pray for us, right? I'm also going to invite the prayer team up here. I'm not going to call you up. Just at the end of service, if you need prayer for anything, they're going to be up here towards the front. If you need prayer for anything, man, your relationships, your heart, if you need prayer for healing stuff, you need prayer just for someone to love on you and care for you. Our prayer team is going to be up here. They're the ones with the lanyards, all right? And most of them are not creepy at all, okay? So praise God. If you get the one that is, I'm so sorry. Okay. (laughs) Totally joking. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need transformation, Lord. This stuff, it's just all messed up in us. We're, we're kind of twisted about the money thing, and we're, we're using it for our security and not you, and we don't even know what it means to trust in you, and we're giving out of our surplus. Lord, there's all kinds of, of weird things where we've... I don't know if in America, Lord, we, we get this part. I think we kind of excuse it away, and I know it's serious to you, Lord. I know that you want all our hearts. I know that even this week you've been working on me and trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with certain things. And, oh God, I I don't want to. I think that's part of the problem. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, for all of us that don't want to. uh, God, that you would change us to where we want to. I guess that's the point. And so, Father, we want to honor you and glorify you. May you be praised here and at home, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.